Last Thursday, of course, was Thanksgiving, and I hope everybody did have an enjoyable Thanksgiving. But I hope that it was a day of Thanksgiving and not just a day of gluttony. Uh, So oftentimes, we think of this particular last Thursday of November as a day where we have some of the best food and we eat as much of it as we possibly can to the point that we can't go any further and then we just pass out on the couch. But the idea behind the day, of course, was it's it's supposed to be a day when we reflect upon our blessings. Uh, We think about all the things for which we should be thankful. And each and every one of us that are here today, whether young or old, uh, whether um, rich or poor, whether educated or highly educated, Uh, We all have different things for which we can be thankful. There's not a single person here who has not been blessed by God. And I dare say there's not anyone here today who doesn't believe in God. But even those people out there who believe uh, that they are atheists and there's no such thing as a God, God has even blessed them. But as you think about all the different blessings you have in this life, when you think about how that when you start making a list, whether it be family, whether it be material possessions, whether it be your job, whether it be your health or whatever, if you are here today and you are a Christian, the number one thing for which you should be thankful is the fact of your salvation. All the different things that God blesses us with in this particular world. And there are some wonderful things. Uh, Our health, our families, our jobs and everything. All those are wonderful things. But folks, the number one blessing, if you're here today and you're a Christian, is the fact that Jesus Christ came to this earth and died for you. And because of that, you have an eternal home in heaven. That's the most marvelous, the most wonderful blessing. Uh, Families are wonderful, but it's not as important as going to heaven. Material things are enjoyable, but that's not as much as as important as going to heaven. Uh, Good health, it's nice, but that's going to fade away. The greatest blessing that God has ever given us is our salvation. I invite you, if you will, to open your Bibles to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to be spending some time going through this chapter. Don't get nervous. We're not going to cover all 23 chapters or 23 verses. We're going to go through and pick out some verses. But I think it would be helpful this morning if you would go ahead and open your Bibles there because I'm going to point out some things that are very important. We'll also have the Scripture on the screen here uh, for those of you who would rather look at it that way. But the book of 1 Peter is an interesting book. Um, and the fact that Paul, uh, Peter is writing to a group of people who had just been scattered, as, as Austin read for us in the first verse there, they were scattered because of persecution. And you can imagine how that would affect a group of Christians. They had to leave their homes, they had to leave their families, and it was all because they were Christians. So Paul, uh, I keep saying Paul, but Peter spends his time talking in this particular epistle to Christians about what a wonderful thing it is to be saved. Don't give up. Don't get discouraged. Keep pressing on because you are a saved people. In fact, he spends almost his entire time in chapter 1 convincing the people that he is writing to that they are saved and how thankful they should be that they are saved. And so what I want us to do this morning is spend some time looking at this chapter 
and talk about how that we should be thankful because there is a thanksgiving for a saved people. As I said, as I was uh, thinking about all the things for which we should be thankful, the number one thing that we should be thankful for is that we are a saved people. And Peter brings us out in numerous ways as we go through this particular chapter. Once again, we're not going to look at every single verse. But I want to bring out some highlights and make you appreciate, first of all, how this particular chapter flows, uh, how that it should convince us of the fact that we are saved, and secondly, how that we, or thirdly, how that we should be thankful. But as we look at this particular chapter, I want you to first of all think about this. We should be thankful that our salvation was planned. This is brought out very clearly in verse 2 of chapter 1 of 1 Peter, where Peter writes, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. Here at the very beginning, as he is making his introduction, he wants us to know and wanted them to know something for which we should be very thankful, and that is that before mankind was even created, God had a plan to save mankind. In this particular text, we have the word foreknowledge. In the Greek, the Greek word for that particular word is the word prognosis. Now, we've heard that word before, but we may not have appreciated what that word means. It's been translated into the English or, or, transla- or transcribed into the English. Uh, it means a medical term, but the word itself means that which has been determined or that which has been decided. Now, we can see how that works in a medical term because if a doctor comes into the examination room and he gives you a prognosis... He is telling you what he has determined. He is telling you what has been decided. They have looked at all the evidence. They have looked at the test. They have looked at everything that goes along with your health. And the doctor has determined something. He has determined whether you are sick or whether you are well. He has determined whether you need surgery or don't need surgery. He has determined things by looking at the evidence. And this is what has been decided. When we see this word in the Greek, prognosis, it's been translated for knowledge here in the King James, but it carries with it the idea that God has determined something, God has decided something. Long before mankind was ever created, God knew that you and I were going to make the decision to sin. Long before the world was ever created, God knew that we had to be saved from that awful decision. Long before the world was uh, created, long before mankind walked on this earth, God decided that He was going to have a plan for that, that people would be elected or saved through this plan, and that plan was Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8, John the Apostle talks about the Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. In other words, God had decided to kill Jesus Christ before He created Adam and Eve. 
God decided before He said, let there be light, and spoke those first things into existence, He had already decided that Jesus Christ was going to die to save you and I from my sins. Now notice how this is brought out in other places in God's Word. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4, Accordingly, He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. Acts 2 and verse 23, Him being delivered by the terminate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Talking about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation. Now think about that for a moment. Let that kind of sink in your mind and sink in your hearts. And think about the fact that before you were ever on the face of this earth, before you were born into a family, before you were given a name, in fact, over 10,000 years ago, God said that there was going to be someone by the name of James Farr, there's going to be somebody by the name of Frankie Smith or Scott Slauson or Susan Hunt, or I can name every single person in here, and I'm not trying to pick on anybody or promote anybody. But God decided that he needed to have a plan because he knew that each and every one of us were going to mess up. God, in his determination and his decision, in his foreknowledge, all that long ago, before he even knew who I was, God had a plan to save mankind. Folks, that's something for which we can be thankful. But the text goes on, and Peter brings out something else. And he says, we should be thankful that our salvation was prophesied. Notice how this is brought out in verses 10 through 12 of the first chapter of 1 Peter. It says, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, Searching what or what matter of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves but unto us that did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven which things the angels desired to look into When God decided that mankind needed to be saved, when He determined that He needed to have a plan, He began to announce this plan. And all those many years ago in the Old Testament, God used His prophets and He kept telling them to let the people know, don't give up. You may not understand it now how it's all going to work out, but I want to assure you, and you need to be thankful that God has a plan to save mankind. Now we sometimes miss the point of this right here. The prophets were inspired by God. God told them the things to say, but oftentimes the things they said they didn't quite understand fully. They knew that God had a plan. They knew that they were to tell people that God had a plan and that God was going to keep His promise about this plan. But to them, as the text says, they inquired and they searched diligently, 
God, how are you going to carry this out? How is this going to be taken care of when you think about the fact that mankind is sinful and you are a holy God and you can't even tolerate sin in your presence? How in the world is your justice going to be satisfied? How is your great love going to be satisfied? How in the world, it just doesn't make sense, how can somebody who sins get away with sin? God, that just doesn't make any sense at all. What in the world can you do to satisfy your judgment. God, what can happen? How can it all possibly work out? Down through the ages, the prophets may have not understood what they were speaking about, but yet they did speak about it as they were inspired by God. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and it shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow into it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. There we have a prophecy about the beginning of the church which took place, of course. In Acts chapter 2, beginning in Jerusalem. Daniel chapter 2 and verse 44. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms. And it shall stand forever. A prophecy about setting up the Lord's kingdom, the church. Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold the days... Come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Talking about that new covenant that is through Jesus Christ and how that this new covenant will be a different kind of covenant because this will be a covenant not written on tables of stone, but will be written on the hearts of mankind. Yes, the prophets may not have understood everything that they were speaking about, but when the New Testament age came on, And Peter preached that very first sermon. He made the point, oh, I'll make this point here. Even Jesus understood. He says, For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see those things which ye see and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear and have not heard them. In other words, we should be thankful because we have in our possession the completed plan of God's salvation. God decided before the world began that He was going to save mankind. The prophets talked about it. Here Jesus is speaking about the fact we should be so thankful because we know now how He's going to do it. We know there is a way to be saved. We know we can be forgiven of our sins. We don't have to be left in the dark. We know there is a way and each and every one of us should be thankful for that. In fact... Peter even mentioned at the end of the text that we read just a few moments ago that these were things that even the angels desired to look into. How in the world was God going to be able to do this? But aren't we glad? Aren't we thankful that we now live in the New Testament age and we know what God's will is? How He's going to save mankind. As I was going to uh, mention earlier, We should be thankful that our salvation was preached. We need to go back to verse 12 once again in 1 Peter chapter 1. But notice how this tying into the prophets and the preacher, if you will, is brought about. 
Verse 12 says, And to whom it was revealed, that not unto themselves, but unto us that did minister these things, which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. Now, underline those verses to make sure that the people that it's being talked about is understood. The us that's being talked about there is Peter and the rest of the apostles. It was unto them that they were given the command to minister these things. And it was by them that we have preached the gospel unto you, talking about the things that the prophets had told them. And, of course, it was the Holy Ghost that was sent down from heaven that instructed them the things that they were going to say. Now, when you think about the fact that we should be thankful for our salvation because it was preached, we need to understand that there was not someone who came to you and preached to you the gospel of salvation, then you would not be saved here this morning. Romans chapter 10 and verse 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Someone has to come to you and tell you about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you may say, well, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, think about this. Say it was left up to Calvinism, which is a denominational doctrine of the day that says that God just simply picks one person, uh, arbitrary and doesn't pick another person. That it was just by God's choosing who he was going to save and who he was not going to save. No matter how good you lived your life, you couldn't be saved. No matter how bad you lived your life, you're going to be saved. It just doesn't matter. We have no free will in it. But with the preaching of the gospel, when somebody comes to you and tells you God's good news, that you can be saved even though that you're lost, we need to be thankful this morning as we think about our salvation that there was someone, whether it was a relative, a friend, a co-worker, a neighbor, whoever it was, someone said unto you a good word for Jesus. And we should so be so thankful to that person and, and so, so very glad that your circumstances in life brought you in contact with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the Bible tells us, as this text does, this all came about because of God's plan and how that God wanted to reveal His will to man. And so He sent the Holy Ghost down to talk to men about this. Jesus even told his apostles, this is how be it when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. And make sure you appreciate that word truth because we're going to be talking about that again in just a moment. But also when Peter got up to preach that very first gospel sermon on the day of Pentecost, it says, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were, with, they were all with one accord in one place. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. In other words, we need to be thankful that the gospel that has been preached to us by the apostles was not something of their own choosing, something that they created in their own minds, but it came from the mind of God because it was His plan and it was the plan that He had prophesied. And so when Peter got up to preach that first gospel sermon, he brought out the prophets. He says, talking about the events that were taking place that day, he says, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And later on, David, of course, he refers to him as being a prophet, and he talks about how David even talked about Jesus Christ. God had a plan that was prophesied, and now that plan is being preached. It's even being preached to you this morning. 
But we need to move on and we see something else in the text as we look at chapter 1. We should be thankful that our salvation was purchased. Look at verses 18 and 19, some beautiful, beautiful words. I think about these words many times. Where Peter says, For as much as ye know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, the silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. You see, God had a plan for saving mankind. We've already talked about the fact that it was going to to take something that was special, something that could actually save mankind. The prophets talked about it, but they fully didn't understand how this was all going to work out. The apostles preached about it, but in that preaching they told us how this all works out. Even if it doesn't make sense to us, even though we don't might not think it is fair, Yet God had a plan, and that is our salvation had to be purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, blood or someone having to die or something having to die evidently has always been a part of God's plan. Adam and Eve, we've been studying and having a great class that Scott Slauson has been teaching to us, and... There, even in the Garden of Eden, when they committed that first sin, something had to die. Those animals that provided the coats or the skins for Adam and Eve, those animals had to give up their lives. And as far as we have recorded in the text, this is the first sacrifice that was ever made. In that same class, we started talking about Noah today. And the first thing that Noah did when he gets off the ark is he offers blood sacrifices to God. God, for some reason, knew that the sacrifice had to be about blood. It had to be about death. And you see this going through the patriarchal age uh, with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. You move into the, the time of the law of Moses. And once again, there's this sacrifice and sacrifice. On the Day of Atonement, the blood ran down the gutter out of the tabernacle or the temple into the streets because so much blood was being spilt. In fact, if you go all the way back to the very first time that God redeemed mankind in a very special way, there in Exodus chapter 12, when He delivered the people from the land of Egypt, He said this, He says, And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. It was about the blood. In fact, the writer of Hebrews reminds us in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22, without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission. But we have a problem. And maybe this is what confused the prophets. Maybe they couldn't figure out how this was all going to work out. Maybe they understood the need for atonement and that there was remission of sins in the blood. But as they started thinking about this, they're saying, how in the world is that lamb or that goat or that cow or whatever the sacrifice may be, how in the world is my slitting the float of that stupid, dumb animal who is not human, who has no sins, how in the world is that going to take care of my salvation? How is the shedding of the blood of that animal got anything to do with me 
Well, God understood that. In fact, the writer of Hebrews, after writing what he did here in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22, you move into chapter 10 and notice what starts happening. In verse 4, he says, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. There's no way in the world that a dumb animal can take care of my sins. It just doesn't work out right. It doesn't make any sense. And that maybe was one of the things that bothered the prophets so much, even though they saw sacrifice after sacrifice in the temple or the tabernacle. But notice what the writer, as he moves on in the book of Hebrews in chapter 10, verses 5 and 6, he says, Wherefore he cometh into the world, talking about Jesus Christ, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. And burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast no pleasure. The emphasis here is that Jesus Christ says that a body needed to be prepared. Another human had to die. Someone just like me, someone just like you, someone who was a human had to die. Their blood had to be spilled in order for a sacrifice to be suitable for God because those other sacrifices for sin, God, as the text says, God had no pleasure in those. Those really didn't do anything. They were just a stakeholder. They were just a placeholder. They were just a temporary thing to get to the real thing. They were a shadow of the things to come. And so the writer goes on, verses 10, 12, 14, and 17. He says, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. But this man, talking about Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. But notice the emphasis of the passage that Jesus Christ had a body, that He was a man. He was just like you and I. It was His blood that had to purchase our salvation. And as we think about it, it brings great sadness to us that someone that was so wonderful, that was so perfect, had to die for each and every one of us, but yet from our hearts should well up great thankfulness that God had a plan to purchase our salvation with the blood of Jesus Christ. We have not been redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold that our forefathers uh, worried about in the times past before the flood, but we have been redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb without blemish and without spot. This is brought out in so many places in the New Testament. Luke twenty two twenty, when Jesus is instituting the Lord's Supper. Likewise, also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. It is through the blood of Jesus Christ, the blood that was shed for you and I, that we have forgiveness of sins. And of all things that we can think about as we contemplate all our many blessings here on this earth, it's that blood for which we should be most thankful. But then there's something else that's brought out in the text that's very important. We should be thankful that our salvation was purified. 
And this is brought out very clearly in verse 22. In fact, in verse 22, something is being brought out that each and every person in here that is a Christian has done. This verse is supposed to remind us how we were purified. This verse is supposed to remind us how a person carries out God's plan. God has given us a plan. It's been prophesied. It's been preached. It's been purchased. Now, how is that purification, how is that plan going to effect? Well, verse 22 has the answer. Very simply put, Peter says, seeing you have purified your souls and obeying the truth. Notice what it says. Your souls have been purified. This morning my soul has been purified. If you're a Christian here today, your soul has been purified. Well, Jim, how did that happen? Well, Peter says it happened when you obeyed the truth. Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 6, verses 17 and 18, when he says, Before you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you, and now you are the servants of righteousness. You were the servants of sin, now you're the servants of righteousness. What took place in the middle? You have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine that was delivered unto you. Peter puts it this way, you have obeyed the truth. Because you have obeyed the truth, now your souls are purified. Jesus tells us in John chapter 8 and verse 32, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So what is he talking about here? Well, we go through God's word and we see the truth revealed for us. As we've already mentioned, Romans chapter 10 and verse 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? You drop down to verse 17, it says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The truth that Peter was talking about that purifies our soul, the thing for which we should be thankful, is that once again, Faith cometh by hearing. Someone preached to us the gospel of Jesus Christ. That calls us to have a faith in God and His plan, the things that were prophesied, and the fact that Jesus Christ purchased us with His own blood. And that causes us to obey the truth or have faith, which is the beginning point, which is important because Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 reminds us that without faith it is impossible to please him, but he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. But that faith should make a change in our life, a turnaround, a metaneo, or a 180, a repentance, a change of direction. Paul tells us in Acts 17 and verse 30, there was a time that God winked at the ignorance of man, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because of the fact that we believe that Jesus Christ died for the, on the cross to save us from our sins, we should be willing to tell other people about that. That He is indeed the Son of God. He is the answer to God's plan to save mankind. So Romans 10.10 10 tells us that with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, but with the mouth salva- uh, uh, confession is made unto salvation. And of course, as we talked about the last time I, that I had an opportunity to preach, Uh, God has a dividing line in which we know whether or not we have obeyed the truth, and that is being baptized for the remission of our sins. In Acts chapter 2, that same time that we talked about earlier, where Peter and the rest of the apostles preached that very first gospel sermon, 
And after he had shown from prophecy that God had a plan to save mankind, and that plan was Jesus Christ, he told them in verse 36, he says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly, this is something you can know without a doubt, that Jesus Christ, you have crucified the Son of God. It says, when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter tells them in verse 38, he says, You need to repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. Verse 41 says, And those who accepted his word, that that was the truth. That what Peter was saying was the truth. They that gladly received his word were then baptized, and there were added unto them that day about 3,000 souls. You see what happened? Peter preached the truth. The people heard it and understood it to be the truth. And then they obeyed that truth. You see, God had a plan. And that plan was to purify our souls. Peter tells us that our souls are purified when we obey the truth. When we have obeyed that truth... Our souls have been purified. So I guess the question that I want to ask anybody here today who is not a Christian is the same question that was asked by Paul, who was then called Saul by the preacher Ananias. When he came to Saul and told him the plan, told him the truth that needed to be obeyed, when he says, And now why tearest thou? Arise and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. When I think about all the different blessings that each and every one of us have, when I think about how that we live in such a wonderful nation, when I think about the fact that so many of us have wonderful families, so many of us have so many material possessions that the rest of the world is so envious of, when I think about how that uh, even when our health is not what it's supposed to be, yet we live in a country that the medical uh, situation is so far superior than the rest of the world, I think about all those blessings, but yet... As I stop and reflect on the meaning of thanksgiving, I think about the fact that if we are Christians, nothing more comes to mind more than our salvation. We are not the people we once were before Christ, nor are we the same people we were last year. But we should be thankful that He has honored His promise to never leave us, nor forsake us. For He has walked with us through much and carried us when we could not walk. And that is the faithfulness of God. To our dismay, we think also of all the ways we have fallen and failed. Surely we have disappointed Him more times than we can ever count. Yet as we think about all the many blessings that God has bestowed upon us, we are so thankful that nothing we do or we don't do can separate us from the love of God. Jesus' death on the cross was once for all and for all time He literally laid down his life so that we can have abundant life. We should be thankful this morning that our salvation was planned by God. We should be thankful this morning that our salvation was prophesied by the prophets. We should be thankful this morning that our salvation was preached by the apostles. And then people preached it to us, those same words. 
We should be thankful this morning that our salvation was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, the most precious thing there is. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, you should be thankful that your soul has been purified. When you did that thing, whatever that day that day may have been, when you came down the aisle or talked to someone at your home or whatever the situation or place may have been, and you said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and you obeyed that truth by being baptized for the remission of your sins. Once again, we extend the invitation, and once again, we ask the question, And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Won't you come as together we stand and sing?